0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: Why show this person respect? You know, today we have this whole thing about hierarchy. And you know, we used to teach critical thinking, right? Critical thinking in school, high school, college, whatever, university, logic. Now we teach critical theory. Critical theory teaches that if somebody is risen to the top of the heap at work, on the football field, wherever, somebody's in authority, they had to oppress somebody to get there. But that's not what the Bible teaches, right? Bible teaches wisdom, it teaches common sense. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle
1: cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall
0: with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we're continuing with Pastor Keith's new series entitled Nuts and Bolts. And today we'll be hearing part two of his message entitled The Nuts and Bolts of Church Membership. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: You know, there's a process. You you just don't pick somebody. Oh, he's a big wheel in the community. It doesn't work that way. Are they above reproach, well thought of by outsiders, able to teach? not given to violence, verbal, physical, or otherwise, not heavy drinkers, right? And if they fall, if they stumble, and they persist in that, confront them. Don't, don't receive an accusation unless there are at least two witnesses. And then if they won't listen, rebuke them in the presence of all, remove them. And when you replace them, when you fill that office, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. Why, if it's just some loose collection of people who come and go like the tides who are in this week and out that week who who don't why all this you see in the new testament that was a given that was assumed it was common sense it was logical and so what was it logical or easy was to figure out how do you remove people who's going to be in charge how people in charge might be removed These are the office or official indicators. So you have this even removal process for members and removal process for officers. This is formal church membership. It's a given. It's biblical. It's New Testament. It's mandated. We don't neglect the assembling of ourselves together. We don't come and go as we please. I'll drop into church this month if there's not a soccer game. Okay. The third indicator of formal church membership, indicator number three, We call it documentary indicators. The documentary indicators. Somebody's probably thinking, well, what now? A baptismal certificate? A membership certificate? Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Think about this. Today, you know, people join churches by profession of faith. You know, conversion. They join after they've been baptized. They join by interview and they join by letter. That last one, by letter. Where do you think that came from? It came from the New Testament. It comes from the New Testament. Yes, there are formal indicators. There are documents. There were documents, just like there are today. Where do we see this? We see this in a number of passages, and we're going to go through them right now. Let's start in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. I keep calling it the unruly church at Corinth because they were a mess, and they kept roughing him up, then hugging him, and then roughing him up. So they've roughed him up again, and he's writing to them, and he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You see, letters of recommendations from church to church, even synagogue to synagogue, very common. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and to be read by all. Paul chant, Paul planted the church at Corinth. He's like, I don't need a letter from you. I started you. He's reminding them of their relationship with them. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, like the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of the human hearts. What's going on there? Is he criticizing letters of recommendation? No, he's taking an example of something that they're used to and using it in this discussion. But he's also warning them to remember who he is to them. He's their spiritual father. But in making that passing comment... He points us to the fact that there were letters passed from church to church. How do we know that? Well, we can look at 1 Corinthians 16.3. You have another example of this. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry our gift to Jerusalem. What's going on here? Paul is collecting an offering to help provide benevolent assistance to the saints who are in Jerusalem during a famine who are suffering. And he says, look... uh, I want you to take an offering before I get there and then we'll take your representatives that you accredit by letter and we'll all go and deliver that gift or I'll send them to deliver that gift. Accredit by letter. Accredit by letter. The significance is this. If memberships and relationships were merely informal, why a formal letter? Now I have a really good friend and he's a member of a brethren congregation in uh, in Wisconsin and he says, well, you know, there's no such thing as church membership. He's very proud of that. He's a really godly man. Love him to death. And I'm like, do you guys still commend missionaries to the field? Do you guys still commend people from one assembly to the other? And he's like, well, yeah. I said, how do you do that? With a letter. I said, oh, you mean like a letter of membership? I mean, you can use whatever terminology you want. But the bottom line is, it is what it is. In every group, every Christian group, whether, whether they want to avoid the terminology or not, they have letters of attestation, letters of, condom, of commendation, not condemnation, that affirm that this person was a member in good standing of our assembly, of our congregation, of our church. And that's what I mean by documentary evidence. Why would they have these documents if there was no such thing as there's no obligation, responsibility to be accountable to a local congregation? Can you imagine saying to your spouse, look, I can't find a marriage liturgy in the Bible. So, yeah, I'm going to live with you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But look, I really don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be responsible. I don't really want to be tied to you in any kind of formal way. Do not try this trick at home, okay? And then further documentary evidence, members in good standing. Eligibility lists were maintained in the local church. Where is that? Pastoral epistles. Why do they call them the Pastoral epistles. We're going to preach through the pastoral epistles, by the way, after the first of the year, paragraph by paragraph. They call them the pastoral epistles because it tells you how the church operates. And what does it say in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16? I'm going to move through this because we don't have all day to move through all those verses. It says, honor, it's, it's talking about widows who are eligible for church benevolence. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. That's a good thing. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household And to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. In other words, before you give money to somebody, make sure that their family has stepped up as well. That's what's going on there. Look at verse 8. This is kind of... I like Paul. He's such a laid-back guy. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Don't sugarcoat it. Say what you mean, right? Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows, if any women, if any believing woman, again, believer, has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. We learned a couple of lessons there. We just, the churches didn't give money away to just anybody, to just any outsider who had a need. It started from within first, and they had very strict requirements. But what you see here is a list. Let them be enrolled. If you you have a New American Standard, I think we have the translation for the New American Standard, which is a little bit more clear in the next slide. It says this in verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. Verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. There's lists documentary evidence you go back to acts chapter five or six i'm sorry and they have the lists for the people receiving aid within the church what's going on here they needed to be a member in good standing then they could be put on the list they had to have a testimony they had to have a relationship within the church and i didn't go through the whole passage but it gives all these stipulations and if they're all those stipulations are there what for if it's really not a formal formalized Covenant relationship. If no formal relationship or accountability existed, why lists? Why stringent requirements? Because membership, as the old commercial used to say, had its privileges. And if part of the part of the local congregation, you received help from those who were in your church family, and so you had lists and letters. There was a formal, established accountability and connection, evidenced by procedures for the revocation of membership. Procedures for the removal of officers, formal structures to guide and govern the church, formal formal qualifications for those who would guide the church, procedures to remove them, documentation that tied one person from this church to that church. They could take a letter of commendation and join another church in another city. Common sense would indicate that membership was assumed. It was a given. It would be hard for them to imagine the things that we hear today from people in the first century. And you have to remember this, too. They were under persecution. So it's not like, hey, I'm a member of, you know, first church over here. Okay, well, let's crucify you. Let's whip you. Let's behead you. No, you know, different day. I know that this doesn't sit well today with many folks because we like what we like. We like our independence You know, we're a nation of so-called rugged individualists. Well, that's okay as long as it doesn't contradict Scripture. And so far, I think Scripture seems to indicate implicitly and explicitly that formal church membership is an obligation, is a responsibility, is an accountability. Speaking of accountability, we come to our fourth indicator. Naturally, trying to come up with a really cool-sounding name, the accountability indicators. Okay? Where do we find that? There are accountability indicators. There were clear lines of authority in the local church. Well, wait a minute. Aren't we just a group of kind of like an amoeba or a jellyfish just floating around spiritually going where we wait? We'll go over here for youth ministry. We'll go over there. For seniors ministry, we'll go over there. For Bible study, we'll go. No, that's not the local church. That's the American church. We're talking about the Bible here, okay? It transcends culture. It's transnational, and it gives at least five indicators that I can think of for formal church membership and let's talk about the accountability indicators we were in Hebrews earlier we're in Hebrews right now Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you do you remember fifth grade who made you the boss of me right that permeates our culture today what does it say here obey your leaders and submit to them and this submission isn't slavery or anything like that let's not go there for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account they can be removed right we studied that already but let me ask you a question if there's no accountability if there's no responsibility for one another if there's no connection who are these people and who and who made them boss over us but you know what you have this you have all these indicators in the new testament And unless you put your hands over your eyes and your fingers in your ear and go, la, 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 I will not listen, you can't miss these things. You cannot miss these things. Why submit to leaders to whom you're not accountable anyway? Why show this person respect? You know, today we have this whole thing about hierarchy. And, you know, we used to teach critical thinking, right? Critical thinking in school, high school, college, whatever, university, logic. Now we teach critical theory. Critical theory teaches that if somebody is risen to the top of the heap at work on the football field, wherever. Somebody's in authority. They had to oppress somebody to get there. But that's not what the Bible teaches, right? The Bible teaches wisdom. It teaches common sense. A look at 1 Timothy five seventeen to 19. Let the, and I, I, love, I love the brethren. The brethren church, it's, like a, it's a denomination. I have friends in there that I arm wrestle with all the time because they're like, you know, pastors shouldn't be compensated. Show me in the Bible where pastors are compensated. Well, let's take a look. Says this, this is extra free, no extra charge. Okay. It says, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Then it says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice a couple of things here. Formality, respect, office, compensation sometimes, procedures for removal, all rolled into one thing here what kind of unaffiliated loosey-goosey group of people has anything anything remotely resembling this people are to respect those who are in the ministry of the church the organizational church government some of them are paid they can be removed and these people are to exercise watch care over the souls that have been entrusted to their care they and they'll give an account for this give an account well if there is authority there is responsibility right you know business 101 i spent 20 years in the business world you give somebody responsibility for something you have to give them the authority to deal with the matter to solve the problem but you don't do that in a loose confederation of non-related people who come and go as they please but that's not what the new testament church is and that's why i'm talking to you about church membership you know first peter five he says i I exhort you as a fellow elder and it's not in your notes but i taught this a long time ago Says, shepherd the flock of god among you and it tells them how Not for personal gain, not to lord it over them, but as examples to the flock. But the problem is, the flock is theirs because there is a formal relationship. Some places have church covenants or whatever, but there is a connection, there is an accountability there, and it cannot be overlooked because to do that, you have to overlook a lot of the New Testament, and that's not a good thing. Look with me at Acts 5, 11 through 14, and this this is what's happening after um, Ananias and Sapphira have been... Killed, executed by God for lying to the Holy Spirit. And it says this And great fear came upon the whole church, the whole church, and upon all who heard these things, and the people outside of the church. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. The original language here says glue themselves, attach themselves to, become accountable to them. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, both multitudes of men and women. And even in Acts chapter 2, it talks about how many people were added to the church in that day. Added to what? A group of people who just showed up whenever they felt like it? You know, it doesn't work. Notice that word join. Again, in the Koine Greek, it refers first to kind of an unbreakable formal attachment. And it's talking about this group. You're saying, oh, yeah, they're in the church invisible. They are. You know, you have the church invisible, which is all believers everywhere who have trusted Christ, who are truly born again. And then you have the church visible or the particular or the local church, which is the visible manifestation of that which is invisible. And that church, according to the New Testament, has a formal connected membership. And these people, seeing how serious membership was after Ananias and Sapphira died, There were people who thought highly, but they did not want to join themselves. They did not want to affix themselves. They did not want to be accountable. And some did, and numbers were added day in and day out. And then in Acts 2, 40 through 46, after Peter preaches and people receive Christ and are baptized, it says, and there were added about 3,000 souls. And look what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread And the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food and with glad and generous hearts. Acts 2, 40 to 46. Added that day to what? The local church. Committed to whose teaching? The teaching of the apostles, the leadership of the church. Committed to the fellowship, partnership, membership, koinonia. Committed to the breaking of bread. There's a reference to the ordinances. What we're seeing here are the marks of a local church. Committed to the ministry. Committed to working jointly together by contributing time and treasure to the effort. And that effort is what? Not the temple. It's to the ministry. So these are the accountability indicators. Just like we're accountable in marriage. And if you think about this. Marriage pictures the church and its relationship to Christ. Church pictures marriage and man and woman's relationship. Commitment to one another we're part of a family here. God brought you here and raised you up for such a time as this. He has given you the abilities that you have, the connections that you have, the relationships that you have to display his glory through you and to help you serve him by changing this soul, this this world one soul at a time. We come to our fifth and final and final indicator. And I call this the willful ignorance indicator. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm not trying to make you mad or poke you a little too much. I'm probably happening anyway, but It's like this there are there are people when you walk up and say and you point them to something no matter what they're not going to listen they have an agenda they have a block they have a hang-up and we see that when people read the new testament if you look at first corinthians 1 1 through 2 who's the letter written to to the church of god that is in corinth you look at second Corinthians 1 1 who is that letter written to to the church of god that is at corinth not to tom dick or harriet Okay? It's written to the church. You look at Galatians 1, 1 through 2. To the churches of Galatia. You know, you have to willfully ignore these things and pretend that they don't exist. You have to willfully ignore Hebrews ten, twenty four, and 25. And that's what describes many objections. When I say ignorance, I'm not meaning stupidity. I'm meaning... That someone chooses to ignore something because of whatever motive or motivation they have. Which brings me to some objections that people have to church membership. We're going to run overtime. So we'll keep this in mind for the next service, guys. Some people say, well, I don't see. Here's the first objection. I don't see church membership mandated anywhere. Look again. Number two, I don't go to church and I don't join churches because I was hurt very badly once. I was hurt badly once in a car accident about five years ago. I still drive. Do you? Ever been to a restaurant and got terrible service? Did you quit eating out? Ever almost drowned while you were swimming? Did you stop swimming? Ever have an accident when you went outdoors? Do you still go outdoors? Don't tell me. Well, I don't join a church because I was hurt once. We were all hurt once. And I'm not minimizing the hurt, particularly the hurt that churches can do. But the fact of the matter is, people will let you down, and that's not a reason not to join the local church. Number three, I don't join a church because it's filled with hypocrites. My stock answer is, hey, we can always use one more. Come on, okay? Everybody's a hypocrite if they breathe. Everybody does something inconsistent with what they claim. Don't blame the representative. Don't blame Jesus for the lack of performance or the ignorance or the inabilities of his representatives. Number four, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to join. Now, there's an honest answer. doesn't matter what the evidence is. doesn't matter what the indicators are. You're just not going to do it because that's you. Some people say, well, join a church. What's in it for me? Let me give you some quick benefits for church membership. Number one, it can identify you with genuine believers. Number two, it can provide you with a spiritual family to support and encourage you. Number three, it can give you a place to discover and use your gifts in ministry. Number four, it can place you under the spiritual protection of godly and caring leaders. And number five, it can give you the accountability that you need to grow. For me, that's the toughest. I I hate exercise. I exercise four or five nights a week. I have a partner. If the partner wasn't there saying, you know, saying, come on, let's go, I wouldn't do it. You know, this is why you have that. But you see the cans there? These are cans. It can do all these wonderful things if you determine to become a part of a church family. So what do you do with this? I want you to rethink your position. If you're diametrically opposed to church membership, if you come from a tradition, no matter how good and godly in many ways, it was misguided in others, rethink your position. And last but not least, membership class providentially is next Saturday. Here's your chance, okay? You can sign up online, you can email John or you can do whatever you want. Uh, resource for you, good resource nine marks of a healthy church by mark deaver everything that i do is pretty much based on there if you want the the blueprint for the next five years you're probably going to find it in there but uh yeah here's the problem though if you don't know christ you can't join the church the first step is becoming a christian and if you're not a christian today i want you to think about where you stand in relationship to him do you know that you have eternal life or are you trusting in someone or something think about these things and let's pray father we thank you Lord, that if we look, if we knock, if we ask, if we seek, we will find. And if we're truly interested about church membership, Lord, we find it all over the Bible, just like we find your fingerprints all over the creation. So Lord, I pray that while we've gone a little long today, that uh, you would use this for your glory, for the good of other people, and for our growth as a church family. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.